Hi guys and welcome to episode 10 of Cake and Crime. I'm Jack. And I'm Katie. This is a Halloween special, so things are about to get spooky. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Surprised you didn't sing us in. Well, I was going to, but you know what, I feel like we need a new theme tune because I've got a lot of stick from our theme tune recently. (laughs) More so from my friends on the last episode. They said it cringed them out, so I was like, hmm, and I have been questioning it recently. Questioning it? Quest- I can't speak, it's too early in the morning <laughs> for this. I was up early this morning. It's literally 11 o'clock, it's nearly 25 past 11. I was up early this morning finishing my research because you all know by now it takes me hours upon hours to research crimes because I procrastinate. So I was up this morning early finishing it off, so I hope Aww. it's all in there, which it should be. I do listen to another crime podcast, though, and I thought I spent a long time researching. This one girl said she spent 17 hours listening, uh, sorry, watching a court case. 17 hours. Can you... I'm sorry, guys, but we don't have that level of dedication. <laughs> so when you choose to listen to us, Absolutely you're not. listening to us with hopefully quite low expectations. They're the high end of the podcast and we're like... Primark. Yeah. <laughs> Other <laughs> low budget if shops are available. Um, so it's Halloween, Katie. Not sure when this is going to oh. be out. Today is the 30th, Friday. I'll be damned if I get this out today. Let me tell you that. Hopefully it could be out tomorrow. If you could do it on Halloween, that'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be cool. So Halloween is my favourite time of year, Katie. Not, not, not Halloween in particular, but the autumn... Like this time of year where the leaves start falling, it gets colder, the nights get darker. I just love it and it's very festive and I feel like a lot of events happen around this time of year, like Halloween, bonfire night, it's very cosy. Yeah, I know what you mean. Although a good time of year. I could do without getting up at six o'clock in the morning, going to work in the dark, in the rain, (laughs) in the wind. And coming back and it being dark as well. Dark and windy and wet, yeah. But at least where you work it's bright and cheerful. And... Yeah, at least we have windows. My dad works in an office where they don't have windows. And so when we get to this time of year, oh. he he basically doesn't see daylight yeah. on a working day because he commutes in the dark either end of the day. And then... he, he needs that vitamin D. Well, it's a bit better now because he's still working some days from home. So oh, perfect. Covid perks. So, Katie, you've made some biscuits for us today, which are... Halloween themed and I love them. I see some pumpkins on there and I've just seen some C and C, which obviously stands for what? Cake and crime. With Jack and Katie. <laughs> Cake and crime with pumpkins. Yeah. <laughs> so there's our singing for today. That's so my part. We was um. lagging some enthusiasm there. And <laughs> um, I have to tell you, I've just noticed this the C and C because when I got in last night quite late, I always get in and it should be a rule that you cannot bake the night before because when I see these... I'm not going to bake in the morning. Yeah, well, when I see these cakes when I come in, I'm like, oh my God, I have to not... So my, my top, my shelf in the fridge is the top shelf and Katie put these on the shelf below mine and I had to like detract myself from looking at them. Like I just averted them from my eye level and just looked up every time I opened the fridge because I was so close to eating one. And I, I know like, how many there are. So I know how if he would have eaten one. And I'm saving myself. Can we dig in, please? No, I'm going to tell you about it first. Oh. So basically, they are cake mix cookies. So they are so fast to make is why I made them. Because they literally... So you could have made them this morning? No. Because that would have required me getting up early on the one day I can have a lion. So absolutely Fair. not. 
So basically, you buy like a box of cake mix. So I've used rainbow chip, but you could literally use any cake mix. Mm-hmm. But then instead of adding the ingredients that would turn it into a cake, you add ingredients that turn it into a cookie dough. Ooh. So it's literally two eggs and a quarter of a cup of oil. And that's it. It turns into cookie dough. That's crazy. Just mix it up. And then I get like, I make like a little ball, like a little cookie dough ball. Mm-hmm. And roll it around in some sugar and then put it on the tray. And then you just keep doing that. And they bake in like 10 minutes. Wow. So it's super fast. And then I've melted some white chocolate, but dyed it orange with orange Yeah, I was like, where's the white chocolate? chocolate? I don't see white chocolate. I thought that was icing, so I'm in for a real treat. Yeah, it's white chocolate. Mm. And then, so I've put that over the top and it looks like a pumpkin. And then I've used black icing. So on half of them, they've got like a really poor attempt at a pumpkin face. No, it's good, it's good. And then the others have an even poorer attempt at me writing C and C. I'm going in for the pumpkin as it is festive themed. Okay, I'm going to reach over and get a cake and crime scene as you went for the other one. Mmm. Mmm, that's sweet. Very sweet. They do actually taste like real cookies. They are real cookies. <laughs> <laughs> no, I find I've never made a cookie. I find them hard to make. These are very good. Literally so easy. And one box of <laughs> <laughs> you nearly dropped mine. One box of cake mix has made twenty cookies. Bargain. So good. Mm. Imagine this with a glass. I should have had a glass of milk. So whilst I've just demolished mine, so whilst you took into yours, I'm going to tell you about this week's crime. So as it's Halloween, I thought I'd try and link the crime into the festivities of Halloween. And I really wanted to find something that fit into this. And I was doing my research and one of my friends was like, well, technically any crime fits into Halloween because it's murder. And murder is very gruesome and very Halloween themed. It's Halloween every week in this house. It is. But I wanted to find something specific that was linked to Halloween. Mm-hmm. And we tried to do this before where we try and link things and we do clutch at straws. But this one, I feel like I've done a good job and I've found for once. I'll so be the judge of that. It's called The Murder That Cancelled Halloween. And it's the murder of Shauna Howe. So, Shauna was 11 years old when she was abducted in 1992 in Pennsylvania. She was a sweet little average 11-year-old who lived with her mum, stepdad, and her older brother and younger sister. Typically for most children, Halloween was Shauna's favourite time of the year. She loved to dress up and loved to go trick-or-treating to get those free sweets. Didn't we all? You get free sweets now because you live with me. I never went trick-or-treating. I've never been trick-or-treating in my life. You've missed out. If it weren't for coronavirus, I would have taken you trick-or-treating, Katie. I think I'm maybe a little bit old now. You can never be too old. Age is just a number. I know that. (laughs) Given my (laughs) age. Um, But unfortunately, this year, um, Shauna's parents were a little low on cash and couldn't afford to buy Shauna a Halloween outfit to wear. Shauna, however, wasn't going to let this ruin her favourite time of the year and being a little creative individual, decided to make her own costume. She was super proud of the costume that she had created and just couldn't wait to wear it. She didn't have to wait too long though because on the 27th of October, Shona got the chance to celebrate Halloween early at a party that had been organized by her Girl Scouts group. 
The plan for the 27th was that she was going to head to school as normal. Then from school, she was going to be taken to an old people's home to participate in a choir performance, as Shauna was also part of a choir group. You were once part Girl, of a choir group. Yes. Katie was part of a Just choir group. Whilst we stopped, are you going to tell me what costume she made? Is that coming up or are you just going to so, skip over that? So the costume, they didn't say what she went as, but because part of the... I was waiting to hear what she created. Yeah, part of the costume comes in later. Oh, okay. Yes, but it never said what she actually went as, but what she wore as the main part of the costume was an old um, gymnastics leotard. So what Scary can you do? Scary cheerleader. Yeah, that's why. I thought <laughs> she was. She's just got like a white sheet and cuts my eyes in it. No, so good. the main part of it was an old leotard, but didn't specify what she went as. Okay, sorry, I, I've digressed. Anyway, it's okay. So yeah, so she from school she was going to take part in the choir performance. Then from there she would head to the local church, only half a mile away from her house, um, where the Girl Scouts had planned to have their Halloween party. This girl has a social life and would probably give me a run for my run. <laughs> so the church that Shona had gone to for Halloween wasn't that far at all for Shona to walk home. But for obvious reasons, her parents didn't want Shona to walk home in the dark, given her age. She was 11 at the time. It was also reported that Shona's greatest fear was the dark, so even given the opportunity to walk home alone, she definitely wouldn't have done so. Given this... Her mum had told Shauna she would have someone pick her up as she couldn't do it herself because she was working in another town until late and wouldn't make it to her on time. At around 8pm on the evening of the 27th, Shauna's mum called home from work to check in on everyone, making sure that all was well in the house. John, Shauna's stepdad, was in with Shauna's brother and sister but said that Shauna still wasn't back. Suddenly, overcome with shock and dismay, Shona's mum had realised that she had forgotten to organise a lift home for Shona, and by now the party was way over, so even if she had walked home alone, she would have been back by now. They agreed that Shona's stepdad should wait a while longer, just in case Shona did show up and was taking her time getting home. They didn't want to assume the worst and thought that maybe she'd gone to a friend's house or something. When it reached 8.30 though, and they still hadn't heard from her, her stepdad decided to jump in the car and head to the church, hoping to maybe see her on the way, or just to make sure she still wasn't waiting for someone to pick her up. What year was this? This was 1992. Oh, okay. I'm just thinking, because, like, now, obviously, I work with kids sometimes, and if someone didn't get picked up, you would call... Like, you wouldn't just leave them. Yeah, no, you would You would call their parent. Yeah. Or, like, even if maybe they didn't have, like, cell phones or anything. Mm-hmm. Back back in the day mm. but you wouldn't just leave like if you were the responsible adult of the halloween party you wouldn't just leave her there would you no she wasn't left you'll find out in a second okay so the stepdad drove to the church um hopefully trying to find her on the way or thinking she might be waiting for someone still to pick her up so they needed some sort of answers as the more time that passed the more worried that they were getting about her whereabouts sadly though this is not how it played out he drove down the typical route on the way to the church where Shauna would have been walking on the main road as it was well lit and quite busy, but he didn't see her. When he got to the church, she was nowhere to be seen and his fears were met when he saw the church was completely locked up, which meant the party had been over for quite some time. On his way home, he checked all the back streets and close neighbourhoods to see if he could spot her. 
but he didn't have any luck. Shauna's mum also called Shauna's biological father, who lived in a neighbouring town, to make sure she hadn't gone there. She did this because she thought that she might have got someone to call him to pick her up when her mum didn't turn up. Makes sense. Sadly, as you can probably assume, she wasn't there safe and well, because if she was, then we'd be reporting a different story. When Shauna's mum arrived home from work, she called Shauna's best friend to ask her if she knew where she was and to get a possible timeline of Shauna's day, as her mum was now realising that she hadn't heard from Shauna since this morning and couldn't be sure that she had even made it to the party on time. So she's now realising, did Shauna disappear at the party? Or did she even not make it? Yeah, to school. She didn't know she even was at school. Shauna's best friend had reassured her mum that she did, in fact, attend the party and it finished at around 8 o'clock. When it was time to head home, Shauna and her friend headed outside to soon realise that nobody was there to pick Shauna up. Therefore, Shauna had decided to start walking home as she had felt more confident walking with her friend as they were heading mostly in the same direction. They did soon get to a corner though where the girls had to part ways and continue the journeys alone. Shauna's friend said that Shauna seemed distressed by this and that she didn't want to walk home in the dark alone. Due to this, her friend suggested that they both walk back to Shauna's friend's house together to tell her father the situation that nobody had turned up to pick Shauna up and that he would just simply give Shauna a lift home. Shauna's next decision, although she didn't know it, would be fatal and cost her her life. She decided that she didn't want to bother anyone and cause a hassle and by the time she had made her way to her friend's house and explained the whole situation of what happened, she would have made it home on foot. So this is what she decided to do. The girls parted ways, a decision that would haunt her friend for the rest of her life. Now knowing that Shauna had tried to make her way home, but had not been seen in some time, her mum decided to call the police. I think this was around 10pm. Police informed Shauna's mum of a report that they had received just a short while earlier at approximately the same time that Shauna had left her friend. They said that the call was from an eyewitness of an abduction. Given the short space of time from the call to now, police hadn't managed to do much investigating on much investigating on <laughs> the abduction. But now they were starting to put pieces together and could only assume that it was in fact Shauna that the eyewitness saw that was being taken. But were they not like I know you said they've not had time to do much investigating. But if you heard there'd been an abduction, would you not be like all over that like a rash? Yes. Yeah, you would be, but it was, you would be, but because no one, I think they said because no one had reported anything, they wasn't sure it was true, so no one had reported a child missing, Um, and it had only, I mean, I say it's only been an an hour and a half later, and then the mum called the police, but an hour and a half is a long time given an abduction, because you can kill someone instant, within five minutes. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So a lot of things can happen within that time. And if it's only a young child, you're more likely to notice them missing sooner because they're normally accompanied yeah. like most of the time. So they assumed now it was Shauna that had been seen by the eyewitness being taken. At 8.06pm that night, so quite literally just a few minutes after Shauna left the church and probably seconds after she had left her friend, the witness saw Shauna walking down the street alone. The police knew it was Shauna as he had described her costume she had on perfectly. He then noticed a man walking down the opposite side of the street in the opposite direction. This man was described as being very tall, skinny 
and had been smoking a cigarette. He also had a hat on and a camouflage jacket. He then noticed the man suspiciously. Suspiciously. <laughs> he then noticed the man suspiciously cross over from his side of the road to the side that Shauna was walking on. The man then started speaking to Shauna. After just a couple of seconds, the man was seen grabbing Shauna, picking her up, and ran around the corner with her, out of view of the witness. The witness immediately ran after him to find out what was going on and to try and save Shauna. But by the time he had reached the corner and came onto the street, he had just seen the man taking Shauna down. It was too late. The man and Shauna were nowhere to be seen. What he did see, though, was a red car pulling away at speed. This can only be presumed to be the man's getaway car and that, in fact, Shauna was in the car with him. Sadly, at this point, quite some time was wasted due to the fact that not very many people had mobile phones because it was only 1992. Mobile phones were a thing, but no one really had them. So the witness couldn't immediately call the police, so spent a significant amount of time knocking on doors trying to get a phone to call the police himself. Okay, so now we're pretty much up to date with the story from both sides, and you can now see how the two pieces fit together in the timeline, from Shauna's parents not knowing where she was, to now this eyewitness account. So the police started doing all they could to get Shauna back. They immediately set roadblocks on the outskirts of the city, checking every car that came in and out. They were on the hunt for the red car that the witness had seen. Police were grid searching the area and hundreds of people from the local community had turned out to help and support for the search for Shauna. Whilst the search was still on for her, authorities decided to completely cancel Halloween. To the police, Halloween was just another opportunity for this to happen again and felt like the children at this time of year were more vulnerable and susceptible to crimes like this. So all Halloween festivities were cancelled. I guess people are like, Kids are more trusting of strangers at Halloween. Yeah. Like, you spend the whole time being like, don't talk to strangers, don't talk to strangers, and then, like, one day a year, it's like, go and knock on every yeah. stranger's door and ask them for candy. What, what's the word? Hypocritical. Took the words right out of my mouth. But, yeah, this seems like 2020. Really. Halloween's cancelled, great. Everyone's staying. Fun, fun, fun. So, next year's crime... This time next year, it'd be when COVID cancelled Halloween. <laughs> yeah. And everyone killed each other in their own homes. By spreading coronavirus. <laughs> so on October the 29th, two days after Shauna was taken, one of the search teams ended up finding something. They decided to search a place called Calder's Hole. This area was known for camping, fishing and the usual party spot for young teens. It was tucked back in the woods with a river running through it and was very secluded. When the searchers saw the item, they immediately knew what it was. It was Shona's costume that she had been wearing on the night of her disappearance. Things were not looking good. The area was thoroughly searched to see if any more evidence could be found, but sadly, nothing came up. Shona's costume was sent to a lab for testing to see if any traces of her abductor's DNA could be found on the item of clothing. They got a hit. They had found semen on the costume, which did shed some light on the case and gave police a little hope to finding the abductor. But sadly, consequently meant now that police were sure that she had been sexually assaulted. 
The next day, on the 30th of October, oh, so that's the anniversary, to, well, not the anniversary today, but the 30th of October is today. Um, well observed, Jack, well observed. The case took a turn for the worst, turning this case from a missing persons case into a murder investigation. Shona's lifeless body had been found. It was found just a mere 500 yards from where her costume was picked up the day before. Her body was discovered by a man who was camping in the area. She was found face down by the water wearing shorts, socks and a shirt that was on backwards and inside out, but the socks didn't belong to Shauna. Police were shocked to hear the location of which the body was found. They had just done an extensive search of the area the previous day and believed that they would not have missed seeing her body during this search. Has it been planted since? Are you part of the detective team, Katie? I am. Somebody's moved that body. Yeah, they have. They have. And put different socks on it. (laughs) Yes, well observed. Finding her body was not the only thing, though, that police found baffling. Her shoes were also found on the footbridge that they were on when they first came across Shauna's costume. The shoes had been placed there perfectly, and there was also an empty candy wrapper placed nearby. It became very clear that whoever had abducted, sexually assaulted and killed Shauna was now mocking the police and messing with them. They assumed he had either been watching them or been involved in the search party and had come back on the night of the 29th just after finding her costume to dump her body and leave the shoes. Once the post-mortem was undertaken on Shauna, police discovered the severity of what happened to her. A shoe print was discovered on her cheek as if she had been kicked in the face or had her head pushed down by someone. She had been sexually assaulted, as presumed earlier, but now evidence of this was taken from multiple locations on her body. Harrowingly, this wasn't the worst of the news. They had discovered that her cause of death was a fall. So, the footbridge that wasn't about, she was found in the rocks, in the rocky area underneath the footbridge, like by the river. And this was like a 30, I think it was like 33 foot, bridge and a drop so the cause of death was the fall so she had either been kicked or pushed off the bridge where her shoes were found and died due to the impact of her hitting the rocky waters below on the 29th after the costume was found or was she pushed off killed taken away and then put back yeah after the costume was found so on the 29th she was still alive she was still alive so the impact of the fall wouldn't have killed her immediately either and it was presumed that she would have still been alive for some time after she hit the rocks. That's horrendous. What also baffled authorities was the fact that Shauna had no ligature marks on her wrists or ankles, suggesting she had never been restrained by her abductor. Whoever had taken Shauna had been able to calm her down for this time and subdue her without trying to tie her up. The locals at the time were totally petrified and were fully on board with the cancellation of Halloween. Sadly, pranksters from the local area, though, were making things worse, spray-painting things like You'll Be Next around the town, further terrifying the young children. Who does that? Stupid people. Ugh. Just doesn't make sense, does it? Because they live in the community as well. Although police did have a DNA sample, they didn't have anyone on record that was a match. They began their investigation with Shauna's family and friends. They did this because typically... 
Child abductions are done by family members and stranger abductions are nowhere near as common as abductions by loved one. DNA was taken from all the males from the family, however they didn't find a match. They looked into the males at Shauna's school, her teachers and possible guys that might have had some kind of crush on her, but yet again, no matches were found. Police opened their investigation and pretty much checked out every male that had ever come into contact with her. Literally every Tom, Dick and Harry was checked. But still, no one matched the DNA they had found. The FBI began to assist in the case because local authorities could not figure out what was going on. They knew that the suspect would have been local because of them knowing about the coldest hole where her body was found because it was so remote and for him randomly being there on the street that night of the abduction and because of the roadblocks. So no one got in and out of the town so they assumed he was just still in the town. Yeah. Someone in the town had to be responsible. The FBI came up with a profile of what they believed the killer to be. They said he would be a Caucasian male, probably in his 20s, and likely had a huge shift in behaviour after the murder, such as suddenly going on holiday, quitting their job, breaking up with a girlfriend or boyfriend, etc, etc. They were asking the public to really think hard about anyone in their workplace, or in fact anyone they knew at all, that had exhibited such behaviour. Soon, reports came flooding in and many people started to point the finger at a man named Michael who lived on the same street that Shauna had been taken from. Michael had coincidentally left town a day after Shauna's body was found. This was overwhelmingly suspicious, but they didn't have any probable cause to him being involved apart from the fact that they deemed him to be a weird person. So police couldn't really do much, but did try to locate him, but were never able to find him. Ooh, but we have learnt from past cases that we've reported on that you shouldn't judge someone just You shouldn't. But it is very suspicious that he left the day after her body was found. But someone would have been going on holiday that day. I thought someone must go on holiday every day. Like yeah. So someone was going to be going on holiday the next day. Not now. My parents are going on holiday tomorrow. Oh. Well, let's hope Maybe no one... Maybe it's them. <laughs> let's hope no one in Bristol gets murdered tonight. I don't think they're that sort of people. I beg to differ. Don't judge book by its cover. They're quite good. Hi, Jackie. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, (laughs) Mum. Police had exhausted all their searches until one day they received a phone call. Someone had heard the description of the person that had taken Shauna and put her into their car, and also the description of the car itself. This person said it sounded like a man they knew named Ted Walker. This name wasn't so random. Whilst everyone else usually stumbled onto the police's radar, this guy actually knew Shauna. Ted worked in a local pizza shop that Shauna and her friends often visited. He was in his mid-twenties, had a red car, and was also a smoker. That sounds suspicious. Mm -hmm. Parents were also a little suspicious of him because of how he acted towards the girls in the past and how fond he was of them. They had said that he would often try and hug the girls and was occasionally inappropriate to them. So he's a 20-something year old man and these girls like 11. Definitely weird. Police were sure they had their guy. He'd fit all the descriptions. He knew the area very well and it was possible that he would have known the whereabouts of Shauna on that evening of her disappearance because of the closeness he had with the girls themselves. However, police did not get the results they were hoping for. 
Ted's DNA was compared to the DNA found on Shauna's clothing and it did not match. The case slowly started to diminish and no new leads arose. In 1995, three years after the abduction and killing, a behavioural detective named Robert Ressler was brought onto the case. Robert Ressler is actually quite a famous detective. Apparently, he's the guy who first created the idea of a serial killer and would analyse how they might act and strike against. So I think he was a behavioural guy. Behavioural analysis. Well, you did just say that, so... Did I? You said... Robert Ressler, a behavioural <laughs> And then you just said... So I think he's a behavioural guy. <laughs> so, so you have to understand, when I'm reading, I don't take it in because I'm just like reading it out loud and sometimes it just goes, it just doesn't go in my head. So based on what you just said, yes, I'd, I'd agree. I think he probably is a behavioural <laughs> Well, I'm glad you're listening. At least one of us is. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So he's quite famous. Um... And apparently there is a character in the series Mindhunter. I've never watched it, but I've been told by a lot of people to watch it. Have you watched it? No. Okay, we should watch it. So there's a character in that which is somewhat inspired by this man. So he seems to be quite a big deal. Not as big as Cake and Cry. (laughs) (laughs) So when he was brought onto the case, he immediately suggested that the abduction and murder was down to more than one person. This is something that had never been considered by anyone before but made perfect sense. It made sense due to the fact that Shauna hadn't been tied up and police began to now realise this would have been the reason why. Police broadened their search with this new knowledge and soon came across two suspects. The suspects were the O'Brien brothers. They were from the same town as Shauna and had been wreaking havoc their entire lives. Their names were James and Timothy O'Brien. The brothers both had extensive criminal records, including sexual assault on underage children. The reason the O'Brien brothers had popped up on police's radar was because, in July of 1995, a 22-year-old woman was followed by a man when she left a bar and he attempted to put her in the back of his car. The lady managed to fight back, but it wasn't enough. The man overpowered her and ended up hitting her head against the curb until she was unconscious. The man struggled to lift the lady into the car as she was a dead weight. Struggled? Struggled. I'm struggling (laughs) to speak. It's too early. So he struggled to get her into the car because she was a dead weight and time was ticking. Luckily for the girl, the man decided to leave her on the pavement and drive off before someone saw. The woman thankfully survived and was able to give a full depth description of her attacker. He was named as one of the O'Brien brothers, James to be specific. So due to this attack, and with their new information of the possibility of more than one suspect, police decided to investigate the brothers. From the outset, some things did not add up, and police slowly started to question whether they were wasting their time. Could they not just straight away just do a DNA to DNA test, and then that would just... Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, did they have a red car? Why did they not just... If they've got a criminal record, surely they could just be like, does their DNA match? Yes or no? You need to change careers, Katie. You need to get into that detective agency. You need to get into the FBI. And you need to solve some crimes. And tell me all about them. So things weren't adding up and they automatically didn't really think it was the brothers. Because Shauna's abductor had been reported as being tall and skinny. And this was the total opposite to what the O'Briens were. They were not tall or skinny. They didn't have a red car either. 
Um, and it was also reported that they were in jail at the time of Sean's attack. Due to this, no DNA samples were... T- oh, there we go. Due to this, no DNA samples were taken from the brothers and the police moved on with their investigation. So that's your answer. Now jumping forward two years to 1997, there was another abduction. A young girl was taken and dragged into the woods and killed by a male dressed in all black. This terrified the community because they believed that the attacker was back. Although it wasn't very long at all until the attacker of this crime was found. The attacker was a 17 year old boy who had eventually confessed to the crime due to the anxiety and panic of what he had done and knowing it was only a matter of time until the police would catch him. Police did wonder if the boy that had done this attack was responsible for Sean's murder. It was quickly ruled out though as he would have just been 12 years old at the time but police took a DNA sample just in case and not surprisingly it wasn't a match. Police really were now at a dead end. Every time Halloween came around, it was a constant reminder of what had happened in the town and still filled everyone with dread as they were still none the wiser as to who had done this. Although Halloween was no longer cancelled, it was still a rule that you were only allowed to go trick-or-treating before dark, so this affected this town for quite some time. Ten long years would eventually pass since the killing of Shauna, But this is when police finally got a break. It was in 2002 when Timothy O'Brien had been arrested for a totally unrelated incident that police would finally find answers. An interviewing officer for Timothy's current arrest had previously been working on Shauna's case and had remembered the O'Brien brothers, but knew they hadn't dived deep into them within the investigation. Because the case was so big, the police would often ask any male that was arrested to give a DNA profile sample just so they could rule them out for Shauna's death because it was getting so desperate now. It had taken over 10 years to find the killer and they still had no one. So they were just, any man that came in, DNA, let's get you off the list. Let's see who's actually done this. So when the investigating officer brought up um, Shauna's disappearance to Timothy O'Brien, his mood instinctively changed. When asked for a DNA sample, Tim seemed fairly corporate. Corporate? Cooperative. Mm-hmm. That's what I've written, but that's not what I said. He was very cooperative, but still seemed unsettled. The DNA test came back negative and was not a match. Police were still suspicious of Timothy, though, due to the way he had reacted about being questioned about Shauna's case. When looking back over the past interviews and following up why the brothers weren't investigated further, police saw a huge mistake that had been made. Everything to do with the brothers at the time had been taken on face value and no proper investigation happened. The brothers had told the police that they were in jail at the time of the arrest, although this was not entirely true. The brothers had in fact been arrested but had subsequently been released on bail. Police eventually got a tip off from a former cellmate of Tim's and he had told them that Tim had confessed to the killing of Shauna when they were in prison together. Police believed, even though his DNA did not match the one found on the costume, it didn't mean he wasn't involved with the killing, as of course, the police were looking for not one, but two suspects. Police thought they would try and get a DNA sample from James O'Brien. When they eventually did, the results were positive. They finally, after 10 excruciating years, had a match, and they had their men. 
Police were, however, still confused about the men not fitting the eyewitness's description from the night of the attack. Who was this man? Had the eyewitness actually been sure about who he saw? Or could there be a third person involved? I was going to say, maybe the eyewitness was in on it the whole time and pushed them, like, said things that were opposite to the brothers to Mm. throw the police off the tracks. Quick whilst you're ahead, Katie, that's wrong. You were good before. Yeah, see, if they'd have done what I said and just taken DNA off those brothers back in the day... Yeah, they would have got them. would have been done ages ago. But it was bad policing. Again, we always see that. So, after further investigating, the police were led back to Ted Walker, the weird guy from the pizza restaurant. It was revealed that at the time of the murder, the O'Brien brothers were living with Ted. They were living with Ted? Yes. Living. I need to do some tongue twisters before I record next time because I can't speak clearly. The brothers were living with Ted. Like the brothers, when first questioned all those years ago, Ted wasn't properly investigated. Because at the time, they thought they were looking for only one suspect. When they realised he wasn't a DNA match, they just let him go. Police didn't even search Ted's car back then, even though it fit the car's description. Ted just told them it wasn't working at the time and police believed him without even checking the car. If I just told the police, oh, I didn't murder someone. Well, okay, you didn't murder someone, we believe you. Do you know what I mean? He literally had the same car. At least look at the car. Ted was taken in for questioning and it wasn't long before he started to talk. He told the police that one night the brothers and him had been mocking the local police about how incompetent they were and that they wanted to prove it. They formed a plan to kidnap a child on Halloween off the street in front of a witness, keep them for around 20 minutes whilst they watched the police fumble and fail and then drop the child back off. They said that they would never get caught because the police were essentially idiots. They said they would do this apparently just to prove a point. Even with all this, police didn't have enough evidence to charge the men. Yes, they had a DNA sample that matched, but even that was only on a sexual assault. There was no proof that it was him who in fact did the murder. Due to the case still being so high profile, the suspect's mugshots were all over the media. This is when police got a call from the eyewitness to say that Ted was definitely the guy he had seen the night of the abduction. Due to witnesses coming forward for a second time, Tim changed his story again. He said that on the night of the 27th, he was out doing some... <laughs> this is actually laughable. He said that on the night of the 27th, he was out doing some shopping when he just happened to look out of the window of a shop and see the O'Brien brothers drive past him in his car. Right. <laughs> it's like some out of a film. Um, <laughs> he apparently followed the brothers to the street where Sean had gone missing to ask the brothers why they had taken his car. But I don't know how he got to this street that fast and how he managed to keep up with them if he was in a shop, happily, merrily, just buying something. Because it's not true. Anyway, so he managed to catch up with the brothers and meet them on the street where Sean had been abducted. Um, He asked the brothers why they had taken his car and they said that they had brought their plan forward and they wanted to kidnap a child tonight. 
That's when he said right at that moment, coincidentally, Shauna had come walking down the street. Because he knew she would recognise him and feel comfortable, he said that he walked up to her and started talking to her about the Girl Scouts, etc. He then asked her for a hug, which he said she agreed to. This is when he said he grabbed her and ran off with her. He said he got round the corner and passed her to Timothy, who was waiting in the car with the front seat pulled forward so he could easily throw her in. He claimed that they then went back home and that's when the brothers took Shauna upstairs. He said that he had believed that they were sticking to the plan and that they were just going to keep her up there for a short while and then would let her go. After a short while, he said he started to hear Shauna screaming from upstairs. He claimed he'd actually gone upstairs to make sure everything was okay and that they weren't harming Shauna, but was met by the brothers threatening him and telling him to mind his own business or they would kill him and his son. Scared for his son's life, Ted said he immediately left the house, taking his son with him. When he eventually did get back home, he said the brothers were nowhere to be seen. Even with all this evidence against the three of them, police felt like they still didn't have enough to convict them. After spending such a long time investigating the case, police didn't want to go to court too prematurely though to not get a conviction, even though they knew they had the right guys. It took two more years to get the evidence that they needed to arrest the men. Sadly though, in the meantime, one of the brothers had committed more incomprehensible crimes. These being sexual assaults, one on a six-year-old girl and the other on an 11-year-old boy. So finally, on the 3rd of June 2004, the brothers were formally charged for the kidnap, rape and murder of Shauna. And the next day, Ted was also arrested for his connection to the crime. As soon as Ted was arrested, he took a plea deal, meaning he would confess to the police everything that had happened in order to get a slightly lighter sentence. The trial went on longer than expected, and it ended up being a blame game. The brothers tried to pin everything onto Ted and Ted onto the brothers. The evidence against James O'Brien was strong as they had DNA, but all they really had to convict the other brother was his old cellmate's confession, which apparently now had been fabricated. I thought they just spent two extra years gathering enough evidence. <laughs> what extra evidence did they get? <laughs> Seems not enough. Uh, <laughs> Eventually, on the 26th of October, just one day before Shauna's abduction anniversary, the brothers were found guilty of second and third degree murder, kidnap and rape. The brothers will never be released from prison, and the judge was to make sure of this. He gave them all consecutive sentences, which I believe means they will serve each sentence individually rather than at the same time. For instance, they got charged for rape as well, but sometimes... If they got charged for rape and murder, they would serve these together, but I really don't get that. Well, no, because then you're just basically serving one sentence, aren't you? Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. So, the judge did the right thing. He did this because often laws do change, and doing this meant that no change in the law would protect the men with regards to their sentencing, and that no matter what, they would remain in prison for the rest of their lives, all three of them, this is. The judge decided this because he thought them to be despicable human beings and couldn't understand how someone could throw a little girl from a 30-something footbridge to her death when she would have known what was going on. So all we've had up to now with regards to what actually happened was Ted's confession. He changed his story multiple times, so who knows what to believe. 
One source reported that Ted's confession was mostly true and that he had in fact been the one to abduct Shauna, hence why he was seen running off. The reason he disappeared so fast when the witness got around the corner was because one of the other brothers was waiting for him in the car, like I've already said. So the brothers um, assaulted Shauna when they got back to the house. And I'm not entirely sure if Ted was involved with this. It didn't really come about. So after they were done with her at the house, the brothers took Shauna to the place where her costume was found and assaulted her again. They left the costume there, took Shauna back to their car and left her in the boot of the car overnight. The next day, they threw her body off the bridge. The reason she kept quiet was because they kept giving her candy to somewhat settle her, hence why there was a rapper at the scene. How sad is that? It's just awful. I, I know it's no better if they'd have like smashed her over the head and made her unconscious and then done it. Yeah. But you kind of felt like it would have been, because yeah. at least she wouldn't have known. Yeah. It's just the fact that they just chucked her off and disregarded her like she was a piece of trash. That's how I see it. Yeah, like, just no regard for human life. And she was still alive when they chucked her off. That's why I can't get, wrap my head around. And it took until 2008 for the town to eventually get Halloween back to normal. And it was a young girl who did like um, a project and a speech on how things have now changed and it should go back to the way it was. Yeah, because that's like 16 years. 16 whole years. It's crazy to think it affected this small time. Well, I guess it would affect no, this small time for that Yeah, long. 16 yeah. years. So that's the case of the crime that cancelled Halloween. That was a... I mean, I don't want to say that was a good one because obviously they're never like, good. good. But it was a really interesting case. Yeah, I thought I'd have to pick it because it is this time of year. Definitely very appropriate. And... I guess we should just be grateful that Halloween is actually cancelled because of corona and not because of someone's misfortune of being murdered and thrown off a bridge, to be honest. True. So, yeah, let's thank our lucky stars and appreciate what we do have rather than what we don't have. How and profound. On, the, <laughs> <laughs> and on, that, and on that thought of the day, Katie, let's wrap this one up, shall we? Yes, let's. We'll see you guys next week when Katie will be doing the crime and I will be doing the cake the cake (laughs) (laughs) Um, so ciao for now have a happy Halloween I hope you get all the sweets you deserve go and buy them from your corner shop or buy them from me and pick me up pick a mix Um, (laughs) have a fun week ciao Ciao for for now. now brother